Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this is Star Trek Rewrites Part 3. Did you even think we were doing a Part 3? I know we weren't sure. No, well, I'm glad we are. I, I, in the, it turns out, I think we're going to have a lot to say, which kind of took me by surprise. Well, it's definitely taken things in a different direction. This is Part 3 of our our running bit, where we're taking the Star Trek films and we're just giving them a, just a little tune-up. You know, we're tightening the bolts and cleaning out the back seat and maybe adding, like, you know, some cool lights on the bottom. Just, you know, just uh, <laughs> lens flares. We're sprucing them up. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm going. Uh, you can see what I'm talking about because we've talked about the Kirk movies. We've talked about the Picard movies. Now, the one, the pretty much the only ones that remain, unless you count Galaxy Quest, um, are the the JJ movies, also considered the Kelvin timeline, uh, the three newest, I guess, Star Trek movies. And uh, they are a bit of a different breed. Yeah, uh, they they... Start us off at the beginning again with the the uh, Kirk crew, except, uh, you know, they're all fresh-faced and young. And uh, th- this is an idea that had been tossed around as far back as, like, Star Trek five and six around that time. They'd been talking about doing a Starfleet Academy movie about young Kirk, Spock, and McCoy with new actors. Uh, but, you know, 20 years later, they finally did it. And, um, well, I, I guess we should just dive right in. I mean, well, see, that's what I was thinking, but it's 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 tricky. Like, I think we have to acknowledge that this is kind of a different beast before we get started. Like, this is this is Star Trek the reboot. That's what this is. And like, it's let's be very clear that like this is not your daddy's Star Trek. You know, like there's there's no Picard sitting by a bonfire you know, recounting the Epic of Gilgamesh to a thoughtful alien here. That's that's not what these movies are about. These movies are about fistfights and explosions and space monsters and girls in their underwear and like everything that Hollywood cynically thinks you need to put butts in seats. This is uh, I can't tell if it's just because I'm getting older, but I am I am getting a little tired of the JJ formula. You know, maybe just because he's doing it too often. Uh, but the point being, these are a very different thing. And I want to get out at the front, like just right at the front door, as people who may or may not be somewhat enthusiastic about more classic Star Trek, I think it's very easy for us to be to give in to the temptation of saying, let's fix, quote unquote, these movies by making them more like the classic Trek movies. Now, the problem with that is then basically what we're going to end up doing is throwing out these movies and writing three entirely new Star Trek movies of our own. And the fact of the matter is, we've already done that. You can check that out on our Star Trek Fantasy Draft episode. It's some of the most fun we've ever had on the show. Please cycle back and listen to that. We might even be doing it again in the future, it sounds like. Uh, but for now, I think the key is like to, to st- subscribe to the mentality of the era... I think we need to think of these in terms of like no we're not we're not making classic trek movies we're making reboot trek movies we're making kelvin timeline movies you know there needs to be lasers there needs to be swearing there needs to be like this has to be a a a blockbuster yeah and 
I just want to say from the get-go, there when the first of these movies came out in 2009, it the fan base was was fairly divided as to the reaction to it. And I'm going to say right up front with that first movie, I was on board from day one. I really liked that first movie. I saw it two days in a row in theaters, and uh, I have no regrets. It was really good. Uh, I think seeing it over and over again, I'm seeing more of the flaws with it, but it isn't a movie that I can just sit back and enjoy for what it is. And I enjoy the familiarity of the characters, even if they're in a slightly different milieu and it's, it's, I have to turn off my continuity brain a little bit, but I still can enjoy it as a straight up sci-fi action movie. Can are you able to do that? Um, less so than you. I, I can enjoy it. Uh, I was a little disappointed because it wasn't what I wanted. Like, I walked out of that movie going, that was a great Star Wars. You know, <laughs> it didn't have lightsabers, but otherwise, like, oh, what a great Star Wars movie. Um, so that was kind of like, well, it wasn't the Star Trek I was looking forward to, and that hangs over it for me. It feels I mean, it feels to me exactly like what it is, where it's somebody took the characters and the, like, roughly the setting I love and said like well let's turn it up to like an American 11 and I, I mean it's and I, I have trouble separating the two because they try so hard to dock you in the you know that yeah it's Star Trek but it's just rad or whatever the 21st century what do kids these days say instead of rad we are the wrong they, people it, it's lit it's lit that. that's what I, it even is. that I think is old ah oh, jeez okay <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, let me look. look okay, we're, we're we're already talking about it. Let's do it. Two thousand and nine, J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek. We're rebooting it. We're doing like we're doing the Kirk crew, but they're all these like fucked up super genius asshole teenagers. Um, all right, so it came out May eighth, two thousand nine. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Written by Roberto Orki and Alex Kurtzman. Yes, the Alex Kurtzman who now runs the whole Star Trek universe for TV. Uh, uh, what's the the quickest way to say this, I guess, is a Romulan mining ship goes back in time, destroys the starship that Captain Kirk's parents are on. Captain Kirk's dad dies, which didn't happen originally, and his mom takes him home to Iowa to raise him there. He grows up all resentful and a jerk and gets uh, tricked into joining Starfleet. They go into space. The Romulan ship is back. Uh, it blows up Vulcan. Uh, old man Spock gets involved. It turns out that Romulus and the regular Star Trek timeline was destroyed by a supernova. Spock tried to stop it and failed. And this Romulan mining ship is pissed off with him and chased him back in time to to kill him. And now he's now they're destroying the things that that Spock loved, Vulcan. And then they try to destroy earth with their mining stuff and black hole MacGuffin that uh, Spock brought with him. And, uh, captain Kirk, the young bold captain Kirk has to learn to work with Spock in order to save the day. How's that for the short version? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And they do save the day in the end, of course. And like 14 year old captain Kirk ends up captain of the enterprise. Um, as thanks for his heroism, 
even though really like i mean even for you know star trek the fast and the furious i don't know the warp and the furious even by those standards that's a little like he was about to get kicked out of school and now he's the captain of the flagship and he's not much older than wesley but okay fine action movie i mean and this is this is the thing like i have a i i have a list of things that like don't make sense if you think about it in this movie. And I think I think some of the more extreme ones we can tweak a little, but at the end of the day, I don't know that that matters so much. I think if we just sort of sew over some of the the bigger stuff here, we can live with the rest of it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I do want to make sure we don't sort of wreck the fun of the movie by by going trying to be too smart with it, but we'll see. Uh, one of the things that I think is a recurring theme in these movies is the the unnecessary twist. And, like, I, I feel like the movie would be easier to follow if it was just a bit more straightforward. Like, if you had a better grasp of what was going on with the Romulan ship and Spock right from the get-go. I think the other two movies are way more egregious with it, but it's it's like you spend so much of the movie confused, and then the mystery gets revealed, and you're like, well, I don't know why that was a mystery. What benefit was there to that being a mystery other than just there being a mystery okay so you want to establish like we want to have spock and nero the romulan sort of romulan but again we're we're just we're, we're working with some of that um spock and nero sh- like show up back in time and there's just some expository monologue ha, i'll get you now spock for not saving my planet I would say maybe even go a little further back than that, like show Spock in the, the cold open. And a, a way I would make up for this to as far as timing goes is there are a lot of extraneous action scenes in this that add nothing other than the fact that they're just action scenes. And I mean, and again, that might be what this movie is about. I mean, I know, but I it's like if there's an action scene, I want it. I want there to be a reason for it. Like like there's. There's a great part where Sulu, Kirk, and Engineer Olsen are diving down onto the this the platform of the mining equipment, and they're, they're going to stop it themselves manually. And they're diving down, and it's a very compelling scene. They're they're there's sci-fi gobbledygook reasons why they can't beam down. They're parachuting onto it. It's it's a fight scene. All of that adds up, and then at the very end, Sulu gets sucked off by his parachute and Kirk has to dive after him and and rescue him and and then they get beamed up as they're falling and the whole time I was watching it I was like I don't understand why this is here like what is this adding to the movie well I'll tell you what it's adding to the movie and the answer is that it's adding running time because there is not a lot of story in this movie there is right. not a lot of characters in this movie there is not a lot of thinking in this movie and then and- when they get to a part where there is uh, story development this is this is where what i'm talking about it it gets done in this it's sort of a neat way to get through exposition by showing you this mind meld between spock and kirk where spock explains the whole backstory but it's so rushed it's like why don't we spend a little more time establishing that stuff and cut some of these action scenes that do nothing and this is like this is what i'm talking about with the jj formula by the way right this is rise of skywalker like to a t like where you just go 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 fast 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 explosion jump laser because no time to the, think cuz yeah cuz if you give the audience time to think they're going to start poking holes and it's pretty threadbare so we need to find a balance here you can't cut too many action scenes unless you're adding in a lot more story and, and it, 
The other one that occurred to me as being particularly egregious is when Scotty and Kirk do their stupid trans warp beaming onto the Enterprise. And oh, Scotty God, gets... he gets stuck in the brewery, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. I was just watching it this time. Like, I, I think the other times I've watched it, I've just been like, oh, well, let's see where this goes. This is a, a, a comical moment they're in. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, why is this here? What does this accomplish? What does it do other than just add runtime, like you said? It, yeah, it adds runtime. It adds adrenaline. It like it. But it, there's like, so much adrenaline already. Like you can cut both of those things and you lose nothing. Well, but then you start thinking about what's going on. <laughs> Why did they shoot Kirk out in an, an escape pod onto Hoth? Yeah. Ugh. Like, why was that even legal? Why would anyone ever have done that? Like it. It so they could strand him there and have him fight an ice monster. That's why. But you can't think like that. So I, I'm with you. If you, we want to rebalance this and cut some of the action, but we have to fill it in by we have to make we have to add to the story. We have to make it more clear. We need to add some character motivations. Is that something we're prepared to do here today? I mean, we got time. <laughs> All right. So I think we got to start with Nero. The, which, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the name, but the species name is Romulan. I mean, let's, okay, fine. Yeah. I see where we're coming from there. So Nero's motivation is that the, like Spock wasn't able to save his planet in time. And I, I feel like already it's a bit of a leap to go from there to, well, then I'll just blow up your planet because I'm mad at you. I think already I'm starting to go, huh? Especially because he's now back in time and his planet is fine and they have plenty of time to save it. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. have the machine that's going to save it. They have like a couple centuries to set it up when all they have to do is fly over there. Like all these problems could be avoided. I, we need to redo why is Nero mad at Spock? And I think... I want to dr- I mean, what I want to say is I want to drop the destruction of Romulus, but that has also been taken and run with, right? Like that's been taken that they're doing that in Picard. They've acknowledged that that happened now. So I'm not sure if we can remove it from canon. Well, sure. We'll remove it from canon and it blows up for another reason. Like let's we can say that it doesn't factor into this movie and it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen in the Picard universe just maybe at a slightly different time. Okay, so why is he chasing Spock, and how do they end up back in time? Hey, man, this is your bailiwick. (laughs) (laughs) You're the one who said you wanted to cut action scenes. I'm trying to figure out what we fill that time with. I'm saying right now we don't have much of a villain. I do. I mean, look, I, I don't think we need to cut the destruction of Romulus. I think you just need to put more meat on it, have explain why he thinks, or make him... Give him a reason to think that Spock did it on purpose, you know, and then he that's why he wants vengeance. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I if he thinks I'll save Romulus, too, but screw Spock, I'm going to make him watch me destroy his his home planets. And, and on top of that, it's going to make Romulus that much more popular or not popular, but successful yeah. if there is okay. any Federation there to get in the way. All right, so how about this? So currently, the thing is that the star, presumably in the Romulan system, presumably the star Romulus, although they're very unclear about that for reasons. uh, So right now, it's that star goes supernova, and Spock is going to use this science MacGuffin to create a black hole. And the black hole is going to absorb the supernova, and Romulus will be saved. Uh, It'll also be in the dark without a sun, but one problem at a time. (laughs) 
Uh, and he doesn't get there in time. That's it. That's Spock's big crime. Is they weren't fast enough. Okay, so how about instead he cre- he creates the black hole and it absorbs the supernova and it goes wrong and becomes like an, an like you know, a space anomaly and that destroys Romulus. Okay. Now, okay, and now we can have Nero saying like, "No, you blew up my planet. Maybe the, it was the Federation's plan all along to blow up my planet." Oh, I like it. I'm going to get my revenge on you and destroy the Federation, and that's going to save Romulus. In the future, not only will Romulus be saved, they'll be the most powerful ones. Okay, here's, and I really like that. That's really great. Another, can I jump ahead a, a wee bit? Sure. <laughs> well, another one of my pet peeves of this movie, and I think it's a common one, is why is this the most heavily armed mining vessel ever created? Okay, yeah, I've got like half an hour on this. <laughs> I will try to cut it down. Nero very clearly says this was just a simple mining ship. It's like, okay, well, for one, your ship is made entirely out of Borg spikes. <laughs> like, yeah. we've see, like, so it's already spikes, so that's weird, but this is clearly Borg technology. And now, super fans, I know that after this movie came out, there was a comic book released that tried to, like, explain away all this horror. Why do the Romulans not look like Romulans? Why is their mining ship actually a Borg super ship? Listen, if it's in a comic book, it's not in the movie. That's bad. <laughs> that doesn't count. Go away. I agree. All right, so I think... We're, we, or we're erasing. Got the interior of the ship where it's all made up of narrow catwalks made out of hexagons. Yeah. Like Another apparently, thing we'll come back to with like yeah. the architecture being uh, in, in so much of this being just uh, yeah, absurd. Yeah, just ridiculous. I just, okay, again, I, I, I have told myself I wasn't going <laughs> to fixate on all these little things. We are erasing the ship design. We are replacing it with a Romulan looking ship. Right? That's yeah. not hard. And I think here, I have two tweaks i'd like to do Uh, not as far as design how it looks doesn't really matter to me but if it at least when it first encounters the kelvin verse if it doesn't have any weapons and it just sort of like rams through or uses mining stuff to destroy the kelvin ship i am so on board for that it's so much more interesting than just pew 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 and then you know in the actual movie in the intervening time the 25 years nothing happens Right? Like, I don't know what the Romulans were doing while they waited, what Nero and his crew were doing. So maybe you have some stuff where you see them, or at least it's implied that they went and got a bunch of weapons to attach to this. At least there's an explanation then. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the This movie tries to lean into the, well, they're from the future, so their weapons must be better. And it's like, I don't know about that, man. Like, we can like, say... I, I will buy that, but why would, uh, like, maybe give them two phaser weapons like why would a mining ship be that heavily armed it does not add up no no so we have a romulan mining ship we have it where they've like weaponized you know it's laser disruptor drills and stuff yeah right and and, like the kelvin isn't a front of the line starfleet battle cruiser like it's not like they're gonna come up to it shields down and go hey you just came out of a freaking lightning hole how you doing and they're going to use the the mining lasers and catch it off guard, right? This is Enterprise yeah. and Reliant. And I like I like the idea of it being like a big heavy thing. And I know it doesn't make sense in space, but but for the purposes of this thing that's not very scientifically accurate to begin with, have it be a big heavy mining vessel, and it can just crash through the Kelvin ship. You know, sure. have that looks so much cooler. Yeah, they love doing the ramming anyway. 
if ships crashing into things all the time. Okay, yeah. so that's so we have a villain. We have a ship. We have a villain that makes more sense. We have a ship that makes more sense. Uh, we're just gonna can we touch up the visual effects on the Romulans a little that like so they look like Romulans? Is that too much to ask? I. I- I don't know that their bowl cuts or whatever are going to translate well in 2009, but... I mean, uh, but if nothing else, I just drop the facial tattoos and yeah. give me some semblance of a uniform. Like, they're wearing, like, the... Like, they're wearing Earth hiking equipment. Yeah, like they, or, they, like, they practically, uh, longshoremen. Like, yeah, like, his his number two guy is practically wearing a Canada goose jacket, for God's sake. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, they give them mining clothes, like a mining uniform. I'm, I'm on board with that. But throw the Romulan logo on there somewhere, you know? Like, like yeah. even just have, like something indicative of a wing. Like, like I get they're they're a mining ship. They're not the military, but they're still like, you know, like even like, like even today, like you know, freight like freight captains and stuff like like all, everyone will have the same baseball hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Right, so you know who you are. Like, yeah, let's just let's do that a little. Okay, so that all happens. They kill Kirk's father. It's very sad. Kirk grows up without a father figure, and so he becomes a delinquent. Whatever. Um, can we tone down the characters in this a little? Or do we need them to be these hyper-exaggerated versions of themselves because of how exciting it is? I think we can tone it down, uh, especially Kirk. Like, McCoy... Can I, I have no problem with him as he is in the movie. He's he's a lot of fun and he's he's yeah. I think he gets away with it. I I, I can't think of any McCoy stuff that's especially egregious. Can you? It. I mean, he in all across all three, he's McCoy at his like most. Like he's always turned up. Yeah. Right? McCoy also had a lot of calm. Like, well, here's the medical situation, Jim. Carl Urban's McCoy is never that. Right. Yeah. It's always you're racing too many horses up the side of a Chinese mountain. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. It's just I think everyone is a super exaggerated version of themselves because that's the tone this movie is going for, and it makes these people all come across as like these completely insane juvenile delinquents, but who are also in the navy. And it does it, to me. It doesn't fit. Like I cannot believe that these people with these attitudes could function in a structured environment like that especially up next to Captain Pike, who's played like a Navy officer. Yeah. So let's tone them down. Let's turn it from 11 to like a six. (laughs) Uh, Maybe like a seven or eight. You know, I don't want to go down as far as a six. Well, but there are, again, we're we're cutting action scenes, right? So there are going to be scenes where people are talking to each other. (laughs) Nobody talks to each other in this movie. They're always shouting. Yeah. They're always running and yeah, shouting the, the closest, and punching. The closest you get are a couple of the scenes with with Leonard Nimoy, and because Leonard Nimoy's the best. Yeah, and because he's a million years old, <laughs> like he can't yeah, run yeah. and punch things. All of a shalom, Leonard Nimoy. But uh, okay, so we'll turn them down. Basically, everyone's a little more like what we're expecting from Trek. We have a villain. We have motivation. I think the rest of the sequence of events. You know, that like the cadets getting quickly assigned to the ship because they're not... I mean, it never makes sense to me that they don't have a lot of trained ships in orbit of Earth, but that's been canonically established. There's never yeah. any ships at Earth, so fine. That, that fits well, in here, fine. Here's one thing I want to adjust here. There's a part in the bar where he first meets Pike where Pike says that you'll graduate in four and you'll be a captain in eight. 
So, so if, if they're establishing already that it's possible to go from not being in Starfleet to being a captain in eight years, let's lean into that instead of having him go from not even a graduate of Starfleet Academy to a captain. Like, like I think we can do a bit of a time jump from, um, the the end of what well, like from the Kobe Ashi Maru stuff to Kirk being to everyone being a couple years out of Starfleet Academy oh, before like the big that. thing happens. I, I like in fact I like that because it also ties back into my thing of turning them down a little. That now they're not these hyperactive adolescents. Like everyone can be an adult. They can be younger than they were on the show, but they're you know they're grown ups. I'm watching a movie about grown ups. Yeah, I like the, that. Yeah, the the scene in the Kobayashi Maru has always rubbed me the wrong way because it's it, when it's described in Star Trek Two and how Kirk did it, it kind of sounds like he got away with it, and it doesn't sound like he was a dick about it. And in this, he he makes it so obvious that he's cheated that it's obnoxious. Yeah, yeah the character is obnoxious. The character is a raging a hole. The character is like a spoiled brat 14-year-old. Like it's it's just it's impossible to reconcile with what we need him to be. And again, this is the JJ thing. It's just turn it all up, make it loud, make it bright. Like just, you know, keep people's adrenaline going so they don't stop to think. But I, it was too much for me. I what I would say is like have him change it so that he he tells them to target a specific area on the Klingon ship. So the Kobe Ashimaru is the the unwinnable test where they have to go into a Klingon space and rescue a, a ship. And a bunch of Klingon ships come, and the test is how you handle it. And there's no way to successfully complete it, but the idea is what you do is is what you're evaluated on, like how you handle that situation. Do you just retreat? Do you try to do the rescue? Do you fight? So in the movie... He's just eating an apple. He doesn't care. It's his third time doing this. The rest he's of the... Di- it's more than that. He's giving people the finger pistols and, like, being a dick to everyone. Yeah. Like he's... Yeah, it's way too much. Yeah, so... Turn it way down, right? Six. Have him take it seriously. Have him say, target these specific locations, and that's how he cheated. Like, he'll have set it up so that their shields are weaker in those areas. So then that's how he destroys the Klingon ships. And that's why there's a whole rigmarole about him cheating and why there's that confrontation because it's it's not obvious that he cheated at least it's not blatantly obvious and so that's why they have to like figure out what he did and and it just doesn't make sense like why would he make it that obvious it drives me crazy all right so we've got that they're a little bit older they're a little more seasoned he's on the enterprise as like a lieutenant or something right yeah yeah then all noticed yeah, but then this stuff starts to go down. He recognizes the anomaly. It's the same one from the day that the ship killed his father. Everything else can pretty much happen in sequence. Maybe uh, there's a scene where uh, Pike is giving him like a pep talk. Like he's he's annoyed being being this like lower level, like lower decks character, and he's got a bad attitude. And Pike talks to him, and then the shenanigans happen. And in the under pressure is when he starts to really show his true colors, like his competence sure uh we have to get to the point where he i mean and we're, we, we got to move on soon but we have to get to the yeah. point where he's fighting with spock um and the whole point of having him fight with spock is to show like well he's a rebel now but to make the movie work they have to become friends um but there's just spock can't shoot him off the ship in an escape pod that's insane 
Yeah. That's insane. It's a ridiculous plot point. But we need to get him in a position. We need to get them in a position where they don't like each other. And then Kirk can find Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And Scotty, if we're going to go that route, too. Yeah. So instead of shooting him off, I mean, you know what? It's not that hard. I don't know why I'm making a big deal of it. Like, they take damage when they get to to Vulcan, right? And they warp away. They escape the destruction of the planet, but they pull into orbit over, I think it's called Delta Vega in this movie. Yeah. The, the, uh, they, they pull into orbit there, and Spock's like, you know, it's punitive punishment, kind of. It's like, go down with an away team and just see what's up with the Starfleet outpost down there while we effect repairs. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then he can, they beam down and the animal attack happens and the red shirts get killed and he runs into the cave. That works. I like that. Yeah, there you go. Meet Spock, meet Scotty, meet his weird little friend who's in all three movies. Keezer? Keener? Keezer, I think. Um, Weird choice. Doesn't (laughs) seem to matter. Um, you have to go back up. You have to learn to work with Spock. You have to learn, like, you have to learn. They they get, like, if Kirk does the, I think the proving that Spock is emotionally compromised. Can that's still a great be mo- scene. Yeah, that's still mostly the same. Again, the characters turned up to 11, but I think that's justified in this case. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Turn it up to 11. Spock ends up getting a little perspective. Kirk temporarily has command of the ship. They work together, find Nero. Uh, rescue Pike, stop him from blowing up Earth. Uh, hooray, everything's happy. I And you know what? And yeah, now because he's had a few years under his belt and he's a lieutenant and we just lost like seven starships and Pike's badly hurt, now we can sort of justify giving Kirk command of the Enterprise. And of course, he's going to want Spock as his number one. I think that works. We keep, we're keeping most of the movie. We're just sanding the edges down. I I. I think that's a win. I think so, too. Uh, I, I honestly can't think of any other major things I would change. Um, I, there's little nitpicky things like why does the drill being active make it so that sensors are, don't work? But Oh, yeah, whatever. tons of little nitpicks. Why do half the sets in this movie look like they could be 20th century? Like the only thing on the Enterprise that looks like it's from the future is the bridge. Every other room looks like a college dorm room. <laughs> You know, the Starfleet outpost on the ice planet just like, has like a tiled hallway yeah. right, with, with light switches. It's, it's like, like we got to we got to work on the tech. We got to work on the look and the feel of Star Trek. We got to dump the brewery. That's the engine room and put it in an engine room. Lots of those little fixes. I think that all comes on this under the same paintbrush as like fixing Nero's ship, you know, like just making it look and feel like Star Trek. Yeah. All right. Should we jump to part two? Number two. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness was released May 16th, 2013, also directed by J.J. Abrams, this time written by Roberto Orki, Alex Kurtzman, and Damon Lindelof joined them. Uh, You want to handle the recap on this one? Okay, so a bomb goes off on Earth. Everyone gets together. Like, all the Starfleet people get together because we call the captains of starships when the bomb goes off on Earth. But uh, listen, we're just J.J.ing this, (laughs) man. Um... 
Kirk is the only one who realizes that like bo- the, the bomb was pointless. The whole point was to get all these Starfleet people in a room. Um, the room gets shot to hell by Benedict Cumberbatch, who apparently is John Harrison, a, a rogue Starfleet operative. Um, Bramble with Cripplewitch, of course. Everybody except the characters in this movie know he's actually playing Khan, uh, the legendary villain from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. No idea why they wanted to hide it. Um, I have no idea why they did it, but I suppose that's something we can discuss as we yeah. go. Um, anyway, Barristic Crumble Bunch teleports away from the attack all the way across the galaxy to the Klingon homeworld be- for no reason, and also that's impossible times 11, <laughs> but whatever. Um, the Admiral, the uh, clearly the Badmiral already, we see yeah. this coming, but Admiral, Admiral Marcus... Yeah, Admiral Robocop uh, tells Kirk that Harrison is actually part of Section 31, the omnipresent Starfleet's like Black Ops force that shows up in a lot of the later Trek stuff. Um, he's been developing unique technologies and stuff. Um, the Badmiral tells him that they have the like a, an entire a 72 ultra-long-range torpedoes and that Kirk is going to fly the Enterprise up to the border of Klingon space shoot 72 torpedoes that are going to travel across the entire Klingon Empire to blow up to, to blow up a Barristic Crumble Bunch on the Klingon homeworld without the Klingons noticing because no Klingons live on the part of their own homeworld where Berkowitz Crambleweed is hiding. Um so they go to do that, and Spock points out, like, well, that's murder and also insane. So Kirk decides that they're going to capture him instead. So they fly to the Klingon homeworld completely undetected, I guess, and in, take a, in a Harry Mudd's ship. Well, they fly right up to. Well, okay, if they didn't fly the Enterprise there, it means they stopped the Enterprise at the border to Klingon space and then flew apparently Harry Mudd's tiny little ship all the way to the homeworld. Unless the Klingon homeworld is right on the border of space with the Federation, that's like, what, a time jump of six weeks, maybe eight? Depending but, okay. on your warp, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that ship doesn't have a warp core or nacelles, so. Hmm. JJ stuff. Anyway, they get there. They get caught by Klingons anyway. Um, Khan saves them. I'm just going to call him Khan from now on. Sure. There's, there's, uh, they, um, anyway, the torpedoes, I guess, were they were torpedoes because they do have warheads, but they also have the bodies of Khan's augments cryogenically frozen in them. Apparently, the Badmiral found Khan and his augments and blackmailed Khan into helping him develop super weapons for the Federation because Khan is a tactical genius, which means he can make really advanced technology from 300 years after he was born. Uh, And then the Badmiral shows up in a new Starfleet ship that Khan helped him build, which is bigger and badder than the Enterprise. And can shoot while it's in warp. Yeah. um, Which I guess was a development that Khan added to it. Apparently. It, uh, he blows them up and forces them to hand over Khan and then confesses that he was never going to let Kirk or the crew live anyway because he has to kill them all to cover up his story. But they turn the tables on him and kill the Badmiral. 
Uh, but the Enterprise is nearly destroyed, and Kirk goes in to save it, and we have this like reference to when Spock dies to save the ship in Wrath of Khan, except this time Kirk does it. And then Khan survives, and Spock has to chase him around on foot on Earth, and nearly kills him, but then Uhura beams down and tells him not to, because they can use Khan's super blood, uh, they actually use that word, to mm-hmm. bring Kirk back to life. And they seal Khan away in the cryotube again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's, I, it's, yeah. it's a really tough sit. So little of it makes sense. Yeah. I, again, this is JJ rules. It's There's a lot of explosions. There's a lot of fist fights. There's, there's whoever it is who plays Carol Marcus in her underwear even mm-hmm. more gratuitously than Uhura and the Orion Girl in the first movie. Like, this is all eye candy mm-hmm. and no eye protein. Or <laughs> certainly no brain protein. Yeah, there's so many things in this where I just, after watching it, I'm like, well, why? You know, why is Carol Marcus in this? Why is it Marcus at all? Why is it Khan? Why is it a secret that it's Khan? You know, none of it is necessary. And and here's the the biggest head scratcher I had watching it this time, when there's a part where young Spock calls old Spock and he's like, "Hey, buddy, have you ever uh, hear of a guy named Khan?" And old Spock is like, "I swore I wouldn't interfere with anything that happened in this timeline because it has to unfold how it's supposed to." But here's how you defeat Khan, and I was like, "A." wow, why even have that preamble if you're just going to immediately undermine it? And B, what did he tell him? I have no idea what he told him to defeat Khan. I yeah. couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it's... it it's. I think it was supposed to be, like, use... Like, like, Kirk's line is you used what he wanted against him. But none of that is information we didn't already have. Like, Khan wanted his crew back, and he's extremely clear to Kirk and Spock that everything he's doing is for his other augments. And None of that information came from Leonard Nimoy. It's like, this movie hews so closely in some in, in a few ways to Star Trek II, in, in, like, obnoxious ways, and yet, when, there, there's, like, like that key moment in Star Trek II where you, where, um... Kirk is able to defeat Khan, it's because uh, Khan doesn't understand three-dimensional space and three-dimensional combat. So, if you're going to use, like, here's Khan's weakness, that is what it is. And, and like, that is something that that Leonard Nimoy could actually impart to them. I, I yeah. watched Space Seed, the original episode with Khan, after this, just to be like, well, how did they defeat him there? Is there anything there? No. It was, like, luck that they defeated him in, in Space Seed. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're fetching, and we sorry, need to work sorry. on tweaking. That really bugged me. I know it bugs me too, but we need to we need to correct it. Um, so here's the thing, based I mean yeah, based on like the way we would do it is we would throw this movie out and write a different one. But what we're doing is we're tweaking, and what the studios want is they want those butts and seats, and the way they've decided to do that is by using the con name recognition that this is another con movie. This but is going to be an exciting... But they didn't. They didn't. Like, I remember when it came out, people were like, oh, is Ben Cumberbatch going to be Khan? And they were like, no, no, no. He's John Harrison. So they let didn't me be even very, use it. Let me be very clear about this. J.J. <laughs> Abrams came out and said, no, no, he's John Harrison. While every other media outlet in the country, countries, was reporting that it was going to be Khan. 
I will bet you my life savings that like it's not that they had like a keen investigative journalist on set who put the pieces together. That was a very deliberate media plant, this whole thing. It was hype. Okay, then here's here's another thing we need to address. Because in the original series, when they cast Ricardo Montalban as Khan Noonien Singh, they cast a Latino man as a an Indian man. And that's, at the time, that was totally cool and, and flew. And I mean, I guess at least it was a minority portraying a minority. Here, they actually managed to make that weird casting decision worse by having a completely British white man play Khan Noonien Singh. Yeah, you know, yeah. Brandy Took Kripowicz is probably the whitest man who ever <laughs> lived. And they intentionally pale him up for this movie. Like, I think to make him look inhuman. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's about as white as it gets. just like a weird color correction thing? Like, he's pale and as the color corrected, he just got No, paler? no, it's, it's deliberate. Like, he's standing next to other characters who have skin tone and he doesn't. He is pale. That's, like, that's makeup. They did that intentionally. Okay. Anyway, so we need to have Khan. We need to have an action movie. I wish okay, we so could just make it John Harrison and forget the Khan part, but I hear you. You, but, you make but sense. See, in, you know, here's the thing. If it's just John Harrison, then there absolutely is no point to this movie. Nothing happens in it. <laughs> well, so we got, we got to have Khan. So hear me out on this one. And yes, I know you're upset at the movie, but <laughs> we're 10 minutes into this already. So here's my pitch. I think what we need to do, part of this is that, like, it would have been cool to see Khan again, but he didn't come across as very Khan. And I think it's because for a lot of the movie, the antagonist is actually the bad Merle. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to cut the bad Merle from this. So hear me out. The way this works, at the start of this movie, the like the here's what's happening right now we get is that Kirk isn't ready to be captain. Which we already knew, but apparently they're just figuring it out. Kirk is getting the Enterprise taken away from him. In this movie, they're just going to demote him to first officer because much like Star Trek Discovery, like it doesn't matter what you do on a ship. There actually aren't any consequences, <laughs> but fine. I think what's happening is we do the same thing. Maybe Kirk didn't even... like. Like, like we said at the end of our version of the last movie, he took over Captain of the Enterprise because, like, no one else was around. Well, now it's a few years later, and everything's ship-shape again, and Kirk is back to being lieutenant or lieutenant commander or whatever. But he's in the running to Captain the Enterprise. And in the opening, it doesn't have to be as stupid as it is in the opening in this one, but he screws it up. He's still impulsive. He's still too young, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't look like he's going to make Captain of the Enterprise. Okay, well, instead, they're considering this other hot new young officer. It's the first officer, first officer Singh on the Reliant. Oh, boy. I don't know. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not feeling this so far, but go on. <laughs> so we bring in this guy who apparently, because they talk about in this movie, well, the Klingons have been nipping on their heels. Well, they have this brilliant first officer who's been on the Klingon border, who's been defeating the Klingons all the time. And he shows up, and he's smooth and sophisticated and talking about Shakespeare a lot for no reason. <laughs> and Kirk hates him. Because this is also something that's missing from this version of the movie. The Wrath of Khan works because Kirk and Khan hate each other. Yeah. So Kirk hates this guy because this guy seems to be... Uh, he's everything Kirk is. Kirk can fight? Well, this guy can fight. But this guy can also, apparently, play by Starfleet rules. 
Then we have some similar shit happening. If you want to get into more details, we can. We're going to dump the torpedoes. I don't even want to hear about it. But I think what we find out what's going on is that, okay, somebody's found Khan's ship. They brought the augments back. And because of the war with the Klingons, they've recruited them into Starfleet. But of course, Khan is taking his augments. He's slowly rotating around postings. So soon the whole Reliant is crewed by his augments. And he's about to become captain of the Enterprise. And he's like drumming up a war where basically his augments are going to conquer the Federation and the Klingons. Because they're the genetically superior race. Again, this doesn't come up much in this movie. But the whole deal is that they're these genetically enhanced super people who basically want to conquer everyone who isn't super person. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're you're selling me for sure. I'm I'm on board. Right. So now we have like Kirk is crazy and irrational and nobody believes him except for Spock because you know that sort of like like they're like you know they're they're, they're married. That's the very quick version of their relationship. Um, he manages to like expose Khan and ruin all his plans, and then they become rivals. And now they can hate each other for real. And at the end of the day, Kirk learns a lesson about growing up and being more responsible because this you know being wild and crazy is 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 hurting people and not taking responsibility and stuff. Um, but Khan is the villain. We get to, we still get to have that, like, you know, the bad guy was our institution all along, but it doesn't have to be a bad Starfleet admiral again. You know, Starfleet is still, like, like they made a morally questionable decision with these augments, with the augments are the bad guys, so we don't have to be shooting at Starfleet. Right, so, so the bad admiral isn't, like, necessarily a mustache twirling villain like he is in, in the normal version of the movie. He just it got a little carried away, and it got away from him. Yeah, I don't think he's even a character. I think it's like someone at Starfleet did this. It's been a secret. But yeah, now he's out of control. I think you have to have a moment where they're like, Admiral, what were you thinking? And he's like, I don't know. We thought we could handle it. We split them up. How did he get them all together? Well, I mean, if you insist, <laughs> I will I will, I will, will lament to that. I'm, I'm real tired of bad morals, but okay, let's do it. He's more incomparable. Anyway, and instead of, like, sneaking onto the Klingon homeworld, like, we can still get Klingons in there with their weird jj verse Birds of Prey, but it can be, you know, in, like, if they want it to be on a planet, shoot it on a planet at the border, you know? Yeah. Or just have it a proper space battle. Um, and there's, you know, Kirk exposes Khan, and Khan, like, finally throws his sinister plan to the wind and becomes the, you know, scenery-eating villain we all wanted him to be. They have their whole thing. At some point, Khan does take over the Enterprise and leaves Kirk stranded on a planet so we can have that fun George Lucas echo that J.J. wanted to do in this one, buried alive! <laughs> uh, but Kirk manages to outthink him, and I do... Hmm, is it a tribute to do that he's finally able to outthink him because of three-dimensional space, because of Z minus 100 degrees? I I don't think that can work if he's been in charge of or or on the Reliant, like you've said, for so long. Right, so we need something else. We just need what, how is it that Kirk is able to beat him? I think that's all I'm missing from this pitch right now. Yeah, we'll get our uh, Technobabble guys on that one. No, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something about Kirk's character and about him taking responsibility, right? Like, it's about Kirk finally growing up a little, is how he, he beats Khan. Um... Uh, maybe it has something to do with, and again, also a fun callback to Wrath of Khan with the shield prefix codes. 
Yeah. Like maybe no one like no one's talking about it and Kirk like his like his last card in his pocket is, you know, actually if you read the Starfleet manual, it turns out that every ship console has a prefix code that can be remotely operated and even though nobody thought I read because <laughs> don't give the impression of somebody who knows how to read, I actually did and I know the Enterprise at the back of my hand, you know, she's my ship. I can lower her shields and beam on board. And oh, how did you how did you do that? And it's well because I'm more Captain Material than you all thought right i think we need to get some more spock in here but yeah i think it, this is a vast improvement it's it's basically a whole new movie but it still has the con that they wanted i don't think we need to have anybody sacrificing themselves at the end because it just doesn't it's it, it feels forced in the normal movie yeah very much yeah i think we're skip and they don't and they don't do it in the in this like the sacrifice yeah. is a fake out so we're not doing that at all and it doesn't even it's it's so much more annoying because they spend the first act of this movie with Kirk and Spock bickering like like they genuinely don't seem to like each other and it's like well why does Spock why is Spock so upset at Kirk's death when they were ba- basically breaking up at the beginning of the movie I, I let's know, get I rid of and, that and, we and just spend, have them and be we could spend friends. the whole podcast talking about all this stuff we didn't like about the original movie but yeah we just need them this to is a be bad friends movie. through the whole thing yeah like make it extra yeah, that was forces. the plot of the first star trek was that they hated each other at first but now they're friends We're, we've done that already yeah now they're kirk and spock i think that's finished uh we but we just need to i mean yeah i think you're right we need a little more spock in there too like i don't know if spock just serves as kirk's conscience through this whole thing um like like you could have uh kirk railing against pike for you know not listening to him or why he's why he isn't picking him to be the the captain and have Spock be the voice of reason be the mediator between the two of them that's something and then have him like if Kirk if we have Kirk get trapped on the planet have Spock be the one who's du- verbally dueling with Khan on the Enterprise you get stuff like that in there yeah yeah okay that works I like that yeah, we, we still need to kill Pike, I think, or at least get him off the ship. Hey, that's something that gets pa- pathos, right? If you have Khan kill Pike. Oh, then... yeah, obviously. Oh, I'm an idiot. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's what, like, Kirk doesn't like Khan because Khan's showing him up when he's pretending to be Starfleet, but then Khan kills Pike when his, like, you know, he hits act three of his villainous plan. Yeah. Now they're forever rivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is the, the surrogate father figure for both Kirk and Spock. It makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's right there. I just, I, I, I miss. I was handling a lot, and I missed that <laughs> you one. You really turn. did that. You, you really transformed this movie, and I think it's a lot better for it. Yeah. So we we lose the Starfleet, the USS Vengeance. Yeah. Which, oh my God, guys, come on. Uh, we lose that arc entirely. We lose the stupid torpedoes that are also stasis tubes, but also long-range warp torpedoes. That's all gone. Can we lose um, Carol Marcus? I think we can. I can't. I mean, I was going to say, the only reason she's in this movie, but there's no reason for her to be in the movie as exists anyway. The only reason she's in this movie is to be in her underwear. Pretty much. And uh, I guess, what, get her father to not kill them in one moment. But that doesn't last. Like, no. She says, you can't kill them because I'm on the ship too. And he goes, no, you're not, and beams her off. And that's right. over. <laughs> oh, man. What a frustrating the, movie. 
even for JJ, that had to have been like there was supposed to be something more there and it got cut or something. I have to believe. But no, I think we drop the Carol Marcus character entirely. I know there's all this effort to make Kirk virile. Like I think in this one, there's one of the, the opening scenes where he's like he's having sex with two cat girls. Yeah. I think that's this one. Like, okay, we'll leave that in there. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of it, but I know, summer blockbuster. It's so, so annoying. Fun. Yeah, it's so like we have to be constantly reminded that like that like I, I guess this is the pud that he's a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not great. But like, there's a moments in the first one and in this one where he's walking past women. And he's like, oh, hello, ladies, and it's like, just just why is that even there? Why, especially in the second one? In the yeah, first, especially one, in the second one. In the first it's, one, because they like, take these characters and they turn them up so high. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Turn it down to a six. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yep. Okay, I think that follows. Like, Kirk learns a lesson. He grows up for a while. He learns to work with Spock. He develops a nemesis with Khan. Like, we could even sort of leave it open-ended as to whether Khan's really... I mean, in this movie, Khan's not dead. They just put him in a closet. So maybe there's, you know, there's room for that to return if we want. Um, I guess this movie also gives Scotty a bit of a solo adventure because Simon Pegg is, like, a really high point in his career right now. (laughs) I, I, I think we can get that just by, like, you know, the Starfleet versus Starfleet ship stuff. I think we can, we can get away with that just with engineering, Scotty. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, okay. he barely has a... His, his side thing in the actual movie isn't really that big a deal. Like, he... Let's, like, go into it. We yeah, we spend a surprising amount of time watching him run around on that ship. Yeah. Like, for comic relief to a point, but it's like, the camera's there a lot, and not much is happening. Yeah. Like, it's really weird pacing choice. And I, I, I no, and it's not, because it's not a pacing choice, it's a Simon Pegg is a rising star, we need to give him screen time choice. Or, or it was like, a, we're having trouble balancing everyone's schedules, and it'll be a lot easier if one of the busier guys, we don't have to <laughs> right. get Just him. filming with any of the other crew, it might yeah. be that too, yeah. Alright, yeah. Well, speaking of Simon Pegg, are you ready to jump into the third one? Let's do the third one. Star Trek Beyond, July 22nd, 2016, directed by Justin Lin, screenwriters Doug Jung, and Simon Pegg. All right, now, you're doing this one, (laughs) because I I am not convinced that this is a coherent storyline. I'm not either, but here we go. It may actually be one of the easier ones to summarize, but it'll leave you with a lot of questions. So... Movie starts, Captain Kirk is bored of being a captain now. You know, he basically just right, became... Yeah. <laughs> he's, so he's, Kirk. Yeah, he's he really is fed up with all this diplomacy in Michigas and is, uh, they go to this fancy new starbase. Actually, I'm not sure if it's new or not. I feel like that message yeah, is yeah, it's, kind it's of complicated. Their newest, it's their newest, like, most advanced starbase. Yeah, except it's, like, fully populated. And anyway, um, so they... They go there, and it turns out that Kirk has applied to be a vice admiral, whatever that means, but it means he won't be captain of the Enterprise anymore, and they get this one last mission that they have to do. This woman comes, and she's all, like, upset that her her other fellow aliens are stuck on this planet behind a nebula, so 
she leads the Enterprise through there, and it's a trap, and they get pulled down onto this planet. The The Enterprise gets torn apart, and everyone conveniently gets separated into pairs and, and land on the planet. Uh, Scotty meets this woman named Jayla, who's, who's uh, not quite a native on the planet, but has been there for a long time, and she's got her own place where she's hanging out, and she and Scotty are fixing stuff. Sulu and uh, Uhura are captured by Crawl, the guy who is the leader of the bad guys in this, who's this gross, mean alien. And uh, Kirk and Chekhov uh, have to go on a little adventure back onto the Enterprise and save a thing. And then they run into Scotty and they rescue the rest of the crew and... Uh, crawl goes back into space and and goes to attack the Yorktown. He's going to release this bio weapon and destroy the whole the whole star base with everyone on there, including uh, Sulu's husband and daughter. And then it turns out that the place that Jayla's been living is a really old Federation ship, and Crawl, the bad guy, is actually a human and was in Starfleet, and he's just really mad that he got stuck on this planet and and now wants Starfleet to pay and is a weird alien guy now instead of a human and uh then they manage to use that ship to get back into space they go and save the Yorktown. kirk's reinvigorated and decides he's not going to be vice admiral and he's going to stay a captain how'd i do yeah that's the that's the over arc i mean the big arc doesn't make sense and all the little details we didn't mention like how he defeats the alien armada by playing the beastie boys they throw a like, lot of techno babble in there. I was watching it and I was like, "All right, I'll allow it." But uh, I hear you. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with this movie. But fu- like all the again, lots of little things wrong with these movies. Lots of things not trek about these movies. I think we have two big issues we need to settle here. First, the villain's motivation we need to address because there's no diabolical plot here. Like the villains, Idris Elba, who plays the villain was a Starfleet captain who crashed on this planet and now resents the Federation because they didn't come rescue him and left him stranded on this planet with a fleet of alien spaceships that he uses to travel through space To attack people for punishing them for the fact that he's stuck on this planet with his fleet of spaceships. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it really, that is mind-boggling. The other thing, this is another one that I was talking about, a mystery for the sake of a mystery. I think it would be so much more interesting if you know he's Starfleet from the get-go. Having him be this weird Well, here, let me me stay at the, let me stay at the high level first. (sighs) Okay. We have those, we have, problem A, we have no villain motivation. I mean, like, he's on the planet, like, waiting to find this doomsday weapon that turns out to be, like, way less effective than just his fleet of spaceships, whatever. The second problem is there's no—the characters can't grow in this movie. Like, the like, like the point of the experiences in Into Darkness was to force Kirk to grow up, right? Like, that was the— like, like the incident, like, like obviously the way the story works, but for the purposes of the character, the point of it was to force him to grow— in this movie, he goes, he's bored, and then he's not bored. Yeah. So I think we need two things. Like, we need to revise the villain 
And that's where you're going. And I could just, I just wanted to, we could get right back to that. But we also need to establish what's happening to our characters in this movie. Like, what changes it, about them in this movie? Something has to happen. And, and the way the movie presents it, it doesn't even make sense. Like, it, it, the movie starts with him presenting the thing that ends up being part of the Doomsday Weapon to these little aliens. Uh, and it's a whole comic reveal that they're actually tiny. But they they attack Kirk. He, there's this whole... He's being chased by these things. And he get, he beams up. And it's even though it's done for comic effect, it also seems like the kind of thrilling action he would be into. If you want to show him being bored, have him do some, like, Picard-level diplomacy and have him be, like genuinely bored by it then i buy his his reason to leave in this it's like movie starts with an action scene where he gets chased by these ferocious little aliens and then he's like oh man it sucks being a captain so boring out here you're like why what you know you gotta show us why he's bored yeah okay so is that the arc you want to go with you want to start with a bored kirk and then like make him a cowboy again is that what we want to do I think that's what this movie is trying to do. And right, okay, yeah, and fails. like Cinema Sins has that covered. What we're doing here today is we're saying, okay, we're going to redo this and make it make sense. <laughs> well, look, I, I guess it depends how much we want to change it, because there's a lot of stuff I do like about this. I like the pairings, the, the unusual pairings that we get and the, their antics, as because it gives everyone something to do, which is something that, that isn't, common in star trek movies so i like that yeah uhura kind of suffers a little like they but but yeah most of has a lot of one-on-one with crawl she gets stuff to do more than uhura usually does it's more than she usually does that's true but like at least in into darkness she got to like stare down the klingons and this one she's mostly there to receive exposition yeah yeah Uh, but she's not fan dancing so it's still a step in the right direction that yeah okay but like we need a like, a like a character arc for somebody, like probably Kirk. I figure like Kirk or Kirk and Spock and Bones. And if we want to go with the board thing, then okay, yeah, like they're they're doing Starfleet diplomacy, and I, I don't know if it's as much as well. We can like space is actually exciting, but maybe we need to do it like making a difference. Yeah, you know, Kirk wants to make a difference. Like the like what's his name from the Sonic movie. <laughs> yeah that's where uh, we have James to go Marsden. yeah sonic the hedgehog if you haven't listened to our video game <laughs> movies episode sonic the hedgehog legitimately a way better movie than star trek beyond <laughs> surprisingly completely insane that we live in this timeline but much better movie okay so instead of opening stupid chasey we have an open where like it's like a first contact thing yeah, yeah, pleasure to meet you, pleased to meet you, like ritual handshake, blah, blah, blah. Kirk wants to be, you know, stealing cars and motorcycles and stuff, but instead he's become... And that kind of makes sense, because he's kind of a hero already at this point, right? So yeah. he's captain of the flagship. Okay, so now he's doing... Like, their five-year mission is still going, but they keep, like, they meet one new species and then spend three months, like, establishing relations, and he's bored and he hates it. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and the other motivation here is is Spock's motivation, which I think is probably the clearest and makes the most sense out of uh, out of any of them. Where he's like, he's breaks up with Uhura, and he's thinking of of like leaving Starfleet to go be a better Vulcan now that uh, Admiral Sp- or Ambassador Spock's dead. And 
I, but the problem is they don't actually discuss that until way later in the movie. Have that be up front. Like, I don't understand all the mystery boxes here. Just have him reveal that to someone earlier in the movie so that you can watch that progress as he as he decides, yeah, no, have he does want to stay. Have him discuss it with Uhura. That gives her more to do, too. Because yeah. we're taking a look at, like, let's, let's take a look at this relationship. We, like, we've only seen in this relationship in the form of makeouts <laughs> over the all three of these movies. Because all these characters are incredibly shallow and surface level. Because JJ, you know? Right. The it's makeouts like, and bickering. Yeah. So let's, let's actually see their relationship and see that it's hit this snag. Because, like, Vulcans are an endangered species. And he, like, really feels obligated to go home and, like... You know, maintain Vulcan culture and, let's face it, produce more Vulcans. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So now we have sort of a relationship, like, B-plot in there. We can still do that in a blockbuster. Lots of blockbusters <laughs> have love stories. Some of them are good ones. We can, so, so we've got that. Okay. Okay. So then we can still have the Yorktown, the fancy star base. You know, like, that's a fun thing to have in danger. It's a, it's an Earth substitute, but at least it's not Earth. But but can we please work on the architecture of it? Once yeah, again, it, it's like it's got all these upside down pathways and it's like, I don't, I oh, it's done just because they can. And they never stop to think, why are we doing it like this? Is there a reason for us to make it all upside down and backwards? And there isn't. It just makes the, the geography of the fight scenes so much harder to follow. Yeah, and and they want to play with cool zero G in the final fist fight. You can still do that. Like, oh yeah, you can still do that. I'm not defending it. I'm saying that yeah, for sure. Yeah, we can make it look like more of a star base. Yeah, yeah. This is a cool, fancy space station, and it also has a civilian population. Done. All right, let's talk about our villain. And it sounds like we want to go two ways on this because you want him to be a bad Starfleet guy, and I don't want him to be Starfleet at all. So let's see what we can do to break this down. Okay. You go first. All right. I am I am really tired of Starfleet being the bad guy. Um, like usually it's the Badmirals, but we also have Section 31. You know, in the last movie, I mean, in our new timeline, we don't because we erased it. But we had Badmiral Ross and his cool, evil Starfleet ship. I'm really tired of that trope. Badmiral Marcus. just to... Right. Sorry. Badmiral Marcus. Right. Which one was Ross? Oh, no. Ross is the good one from yeah. DS9. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Let's say the gray anyway. one from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. God, Deep Space Nine is so much better than this. <laughs> okay, it, yeah, off topic. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm just I'm tired of Starfleet being the bad guy. The whole point of this movie is that we're on the frontier. Let's have a frontier threat. So we need to have something exciting. So it can't just be a random space anomaly. It's got to be something that they can shoot phasers at and that they can get into a fist fight with. So it does have to be an alien species. And we've already used Klingons in the last movie. So that's too bad. So that, like, do we just, do we want, like, my point of view then is do we call in a classic Star Trek villain race or do we make a new villain race? But just, like, I want there to be a uniquely alien threat here okay i'm with you i'm with you i i hmm i just it's gonna be harder to find a motivation that is will resonate i think 
but well it depends on what you're and i mean yeah if, if you're wanting to pivot pivot but if we're going down this route you have two options i think if you call in a classic villain like an already existing villain race like let's see the jj cardassians for instance then it's no problem. You guys just built this giant advanced super space station right next to our border, right? And it's covered in phaser turrets and torpedo launchers and all the ships are showing up and stuff. We're not cool with that. Done. Yeah. You're finished. So you can go down that route. But then, but then, then it becomes a whole other movie, doesn't it? Well, not, I mean, it would if you were changing the meaning. Like, but there is no meaning to this movie because the story doesn't make like the 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 only thing we get out of it is Kirk. Like again, in the original version, it's Kirk learns that like he can be in an action movie sometimes, and it's fun. And our new version, we're having Kirk making a difference. And I think what we do is that oh, like diplomatic mission, diplomatic mission, diplomatic mission, Cardassians, and now Kirk's going, you know, and they and they blow up the Enterprise, and they're stranded on the planet, and they're using the crew for labor or whatever, and they're preparing a big attack on the space station. But, but he finds Scotty and his alien girlfriend, and they're able to, to save the day. Like, you still get the same movie. I, I just want to say, I, one of the things I do like about this is that Jayla doesn't end up as someone's girlfriend. Yeah, that's that's fair. There There isn't actually any makeouts, which is weird, given the tone of the last few movies. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, J.J. is less involved in it, and I think Simon Pegg is less uh, libido-driven, maybe, as a writer. Yeah, that's that's probably it. So all that can happen, and like the villain's motivation makes sense, right? Same movie, but we understand what it is the bad guys want, and it gives the heroes a chance to prove themselves. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I I, I can I can get behind that. Are we going to have the destruction of the Enterprise and and all that? I feel like blowing up the Enterprise at the start of this movie was wasting a big dramatic scene. Um, if we're going to blow up the Enterprise, I think we're doing it at the end of the movie, at like the climactic moment, because that should be a really dramatic moment. Like that's what it was in Search for Spock. You know, like let's face it, an otherwise fairly lackluster movie, but <laughs> the Enterprise was destroyed. Yeah, like that was a. You know, my God, what have I done? Like what you always do, what you had to. Like that's a big moment. Blowing it in the opening credits, it was ridiculous. I mean, maybe they thought they had to because the new model for the Enterprise in this movie is garbage. <laughs> I, you know, I, I will say that the the way they take it apart is something I'd never seen in in a Star Trek movie or TV show before, where like it gets eaten apart at the nacelles and then at the saucer section. It's like it was a, a Instead of just an explosion, it was really disassembled in a way that I had only done. And what was it? Bridge Commander? Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. Where you can, <laughs> yeah, you can target the phasers and cut things apart. Great game. Yeah. Yeah, no, let's, so let's do that. I mean, maybe we don't have this, the, the bug swarm ships because I don't want to have to do the Beastie Boys either. But I think, yeah, we, we blow up the Enterprise at the end of the movie as part of the sacrifice to save the Starbase. Okay. And that's cool. It's a cool sacrifice, and it shows that Kirk, like, it's a symbolic of him. Yeah, it's like the captain going down with the ship, right? He's basically sacrificing himself to save all these people. It's very Star Trek. I like that a lot. And because it's an action movie, of course, the Cardassian version of Krall, or whatever species we pick version of Krall, it doesn't even matter, will come onto the ship, and they'll fist fight through the exploding ship. Oh, cool. 
Right. Like, of course, of course, that's going to happen. That's going to be great. And yeah, that, so that whole jazz, like it's just adding motivation for the villain and the rest of it can play out pretty much the same. Also, just like as a personal me being a little bit of a bitch, like <laughs> blowing up the Enterprise at the end of the movie means we don't have to go with the NX ship. Like we don't have to make this big reference to Star Trek Enterprise the series. Right. Which is so out of place and so unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a nice touch to continuity that they don't always do, especially to a show that is the, you know, redheaded stepchild of, of classic Trek. And, uh, so it was kind of a nice bone to throw to the fans of that series to be like, Hey, look, your stuff does count. Um, but I hear you. It's mostly unnecessary. I, 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 I like your version. I'm happy to go with it. I just want to say, if we're going to do the version where it's star clearly Starfleet all the way through. I think there's more interesting conversations to be had of like this war based guy versus the more peaceful version. And you'd have a conversation of uh, like, like if the whole point is like Kirk wants to get to be a cowboy again, and this is the ultimate cowboy who had to be, you know, strapped into a diplomatic Starfleet ship and and he resents all of that. Those are much more interesting conversations to have that never happen in the movie. That's that, true. And I and the pro, like, I really like that, but I don't think that's this movie. I think that's a regular Star Trek movie. I think mm. it's a thinking man's movie. <laughs> okay. Like that that has a lot to say about like how we treat our veterans and like the, right. the psychological effects of war and all that and that is not what Hollywood the Paramount Viacom wants for these movies. They want Uhura taking off her clothes because she doesn't know that Kirk is hiding under the bed. They want laser guns and... Lots of pew-pews. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a wicked story idea, I like, and I, but it can't be explored by Jim, by Jim Kirk. <laughs> Not this one, anyway. Not this one for sure. Chris, uh, which Chris is this? Is this Pine? Pine? Yeah. Chris Pine. Chris Hemsworth is his dad. Really? No, yeah. no, the character, the character. Okay, not, <laughs> all right. There are a lot of Chris's. It's hard to keep um, Okay. Yeah, no, that that is a very good point, but I, yeah, we can't do that here. That's that's a talking movie, not a shooting movie. All right, well, I think that's it. I mean, there's one more movie potentially in the the uh, the the offing, but uh, it's scheduled for 2023, and, and it would be the what fourth or fifth version of the next Kelvin movie that has never come to pass. So let's, let's see what happens there, but it's, it's in the works. Um, yeah. But between that and the pandemic, I, I, I definitely see them pivoting more towards like, I think that's how lower decks got authorized. That's how prodigy got authorized. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more series stuff than we're going to be seeing giant blockbuster laser gun shows. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, should we call it on this? Yeah, Did we do it? I, I I guess so. Each of those seems like a better movie to me than the one that I had to watch to research this podcast. <laughs> those were our three versions of the Kelvin timeline movies. Think they're pretty good. If we had more time, I just I don't know, these kind of things, these discussions like they're like a gas. You know, they expand to fill the room they have and we could be here all night. 
So I know there's things that I forgot to mention, and I'm sure there are things you're thinking of that we didn't get to. And uh, if there are any critical points that we missed, we'd love to hear about it. Like I said, we could do this for a long time. We'd love to do it with you as well. Please send in your thoughts, your ideas, uh, both for this and in general. We've been doing a lot of episodes lately based off of the ones that you want to hear. So if you think of a cool top five or something for us to have a look at, we'd love to hear about it. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Doing this for you, we love how active our community is in getting back to us on this kind of stuff. We love to hear about how you're th- thinking about the show. And uh, you know what? And a few sort of longtime listeners have become occasional guests, so happy to have that too. At the end of the day, just saying thank you for being part of sort of the Geek Top 5 family. While we are giving out thanks, I uh, would be remiss not to mention the guy behind our theme song, Jamie Reum. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Local Toronto performer, uh, does some pretty cool music geek stuff as well. Check him out at uh, Jamie underscore Reum and Jamie Reum official on Instagram and YouTube, respectively. And, uh, and hey, listen... These movies, <laughs> I, uh, I I did them all in a day, and it's not recommended, but they're, it's a cool way to kill a couple of afternoons, probably the best way to space it out. If you, you haven't seen them for a while, or at all, they're, I mean, they're blockbusters. They're not going to make you, they're not going to make you think, but they'll, they'll pass the time. They're delicious popcorn. So give that a bit, give them a watch, and uh, that should be plenty enough to, to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, as always, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.